0: Hi folks, Chris Foss here from dot com. Hey, welcome to another podcast. We certainly appreciate you guys tuning in. Thanks for being here today. And of course, we always have the best guests. Today, we've got an incredible interview from an incredibly smart book author. He's written three books, and uh, he's written Mind, Money, and wealth, what they don't teach in school. Robert Luxenberg. Robert, his bio, is an accomplished businessman, speaker, author, and philanthropist. Uh, he was a Canadian swimming champion, a member of the Canadian national team, and leader of the Canadian contingent, entailing 36 sports to one of the largest international sports games in the world. Uh, he was 47 years old when he turned down a well paying executive positions, found a business partner, and bought his first apartment building before he celebrated his 50th birthday. He'd become a millionaire and was a multimillionaire several years later. He's owned several hundred residential apartments, presently develops self-storage facilities, converts landmark buildings to hotels, and has built a restaurant, bar, and villas in Mexico. He teaches real estate to anyone interested in building real legacy wealth, and he wants to share his lessons he learned with the power of the mind and wealth building with young people just starting out. His latest book, Mind, Money, and Wealth, What They Don't Teach in School is available on Amazon. You can take and get it there. And his other two books that he's written, The Third Q and Unlocking the Secrets. So hi, Robert. Welcome to the show. Glad to have you here.
1: You know what? It's a pleasure being with you this afternoon.
0: Awesome sauce. Now, you've got a great uh, website here that people can take a look at to get the book. They can get it on Amazon, but it's mind moneyandwealth.com. And and, uh, you can check it out on Amazon at Mind Money and Wealth, What They Don't Teach in School. So this has been a pretty awesome book for you out of the three books you've taken and done so far.
1: Yeah, this is actually um, uh, something that I take to heart because I wrote it for my children. It was a legacy to them. Uh, I saw them uh, in their late teens, actually growing up with an incredible lack of knowledge uh, in key areas as far as I was concerned. Um, my kids go to a wonderful private school and, uh, yet there were some uh, serious missing pieces there. So I'm a proponent of school, of course, but, uh, with those missing pieces, I decided, okay, I'm going to write this book. It was on my bucket list and uh, I executed on it and got the book done. And I am absolutely humbled by the results. Uh, it's getting out there really fast, Europe, uh, worldwide, and I'm getting, uh, emails from young people all over the world as well as, uh, older people that, uh, Have read the book and connected with it. So I'm humbled by it and I'm humbled by the results uh, uh, and looking forward to sharing it with your uh, listeners.
0: So, what does the book cover? What does it entail uh, more in depth?
1: Well, it starts off with the discussion of the mind. And this is an important piece as far as I'm concerned. There are hundreds of books out there that give you all sorts of information on how to make money or how to build wealth. And, you know, some of those books are really excellent. But at the end of the day, if you don't have the mindset, wealth, if you don't have the mindset for growth, none of that's going to happen. You can read a 100 books, and I promise you, you're going to stay where you're at. So uh, the beginning of my book, I really focus in on my story, and then uh, the power of the mind, and what to do, frankly, to set the mind for success. And then the second part of the book is um, the discussion of money. Again, something for some strange reason they don't teach in school, don't get it. I mean, kids just have no idea how to balance a checkbook. Uh, And they don't most don't know about compounding the most powerful force in the universe, according to Albert Einstein. And then finally, wealth building itself. You know, they know how to get a job. They know how to work by the hour. But uh, uh, as far as actually building serious legacy wealth, they don't know.
0: It It is disappointing that schools don't teach entrepreneurism. They don't teach uh, some of the life skills like, you know, credit reports and like what you said, mentioned. Uh, I remember my dad, I think the Albert Einstein thing was, wasn't the Albert Einstein thing where if I give you a penny every day and you put it in a passbook savings account that earns a minimum amount of interest, uh, It was, was that the reference that uh, Albert Einstein had?
1: I don't know specifically about Albert Einstein, but mm. uh, I know that in my book I reference uh, penny doubling. Yeah. Uh, where you double a penny every day for 31 days, mm-hmm. um, would you take uh, 5000 uh, sorry, $5 million or would you take yeah. the penny doubling, your choice?
0: My dad used to run that by me, uh, that, that, that example by me, uh, and I think he cited, it was Howard Hughes that used to say that, but I don't know. It's one of those, it's one of those things that's out there. But if he would, he would ask me, would you rather have a penny a day for 10 years or would you rather have a million dollars? You know, we don't say a million dollars. And uh, then he would explain compounding to us. And uh, it's just, it really is sad that that they don't teach more stuff, life skills in, you know, how to be a good parent, maybe how to raise children, how to balance a checkbook, like you say. No one teaches you any of that stuff, how to manage your credit, how to get credit. Um, You know, I learned so much crap in school, in public school. Um, and the one key thing that I learned in school that was like the most important thing financially for me as an entrepreneur or just in life was typing class. And the reason that was so important was it helped me write my business letters for our companies and
2: type
1: out our invoices. That is unbelievable. You know, (laughs) I I still type with one finger, but it's funny because I did take a typing class in high school. And the reason I did that was to meet girls.
0: Ah, there you go. So I didn't
1: really learn to type. I think Clearly I
0: you, were, you had your mind on something else.
1: I think so. I think <laughs> well, so.
0: You know, that's you're of, you're of that age at that time. So yeah. You know? And and so I would we me and my business partner, we'd take uh turns each weekend uh doing all the invoicing. And so he would be sitting there henpecking for you know all weekend long for our clients and then you know I'd be like, Okay, done. But it was it was really important for me in just reading, writing. Uh, you know, I suck at English, but it's, it's made me better at it. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting. So it's great. You put this in the book so that these people can learn. It's good that it's targeted toward the youth so they can learn. I mean, they have such a opportunity with the world as it is today in being able to virtually create businesses, virtually create offices, virtually be able to create income. And, uh, and yet yet their parents raise them and they go, what do you gotta do now? Go get a job?
1: Well, there we go. And that yeah. comes from the uh, previous generations. That's the way they were trained.
0: Yep, And they just end up enslaved to these employers that don't raise their pay, don't pay them well, dismiss them. It's even worse now with the contract labor that's out there where they can throw you off the bus anytime they want.
1: No, it's exactly true, and, uh, and unfortunately, people seem to uh, put weight on uh, being paid by the hours. They're being paid by their limited time,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and that is a huge error uh, for many different reasons. First of all, you know, the moments that you have in life are precious, uh, and who knows how long that'll last. I actually do a study in the book, uh, an analysis uh, near the end of the book, as to actually how much time you really have here, and it'll blow you away because you know, young people especially think they have all the time in the world. Uh, But actually, they don't. And when you start taking into account uh, things like uh, driving in traffic, sleeping, taking a shower, uh, worrying about the future, uh, being resentful and angry about the past, and I can go on and on and on, I get very specific in the book about Mm -hmm. these things, it's actually more like a football game. So as you know, a football game goes, what, three or four hours? Mm -hmm. Uh, The game is an hour. But the ball's in play for 11 minutes. Yeah,
2: isn't that, well, that funny? That's life, you know.
1: We've got to get it together because at the end of the day, we think we're, we're going to be living that three or four hours, but it's only 11 minutes long. So yeah. I think if we were taking into account an 80, 90-year lifespan, you know, really we're talking about life as, as we know it and should know it, being in the present, 10 years. So wow, if that's the and you're being paid by the hour, holy cow, think about that. That's pretty mm-hmm. sick.
0: I need to do something better with my tension. <laughs> I need to get out more. But no, that's that's brilliant. That's awesome. Um, you know, a lot of people don't recognize that. You know, you and I are probably at the age where we get to a point where it starts moving really fast for us. Like we wake up and we're like, "What? A year went by? What? where did that go?" Um, I you know, I go through a whole I go through a day sometimes and be like, "What did I? What the hell happened today?" Um. And then the naps don't help, you know, where I'm kind of like a half day person. I take a nap. I, I just nap really these days. So uh, it goes fast. And, you know, I see so many of of uh, people that I talk to that are youthful. And I'm like, this is really the most important time of your life. You've got you've to use this time. You've got the energy. You know, I don't know about you, Robert, but at my age, you know, the back hurts, the hips out, the eyesight's going, <laughs> you know falling apart. And, and it's like, I don't have time to chase around like I did, you know, uh, our early businesses when I was in my 20s. No,
1: it's so true. Um, I'm 61. You look a lot young, younger than I do. Um, but I got to tell you, frankly, I've, I've kind of made some serious shifts in my lifestyle, actually, over the last while I'm eating better. Uh, but exercise wise, I found an amazing trainer who's actually taken me through mobility and posture training. Uh, uh, along with circuit training. And I gotta tell you, I have never felt better. I'm, I feel like a 25 year old. So I think, you know, we're, are yeah, my eyesight's going, my, you know, I know that I don't hear as well as I did, but physically and even mentally, I feel fantastic. So I, I don't think we're destined to fall apart. I think we can make some choices that will help us in that regard.
0: And it helps if you're self-employed too, because you have more time to do stuff. Like yeah. you and I have freedom to be able to do what we want in during a day. And, uh, so we can go work out, we can, you know, kind of contemplate when you, but when you're on that slave drive where you're, you know, you've got to wake up, race to your work, go through the, you know, hour or two hours of traffic, uh, and then do the, and do the whole thing, you know, with the work and, and then come home, you're, you're pretty much spent energy wise and, uh, attention wise. And most people just want to gel out at that point. So they don't have a lot of time to work on. Uh, themselves their lives are doing their own thing and most most people don't think outside the box which is probably a good reason for them to get your book
1: yeah I mean there's no question about it most people are so incredibly limited by that quote-unquote that box and they live in that box they don't even know what's outside of the box and when they hear from individuals that have some ideas on how they can better their lives but of course the information's out of the box they go out You know, I live in this box. I'm staying right here. And I actually talk a lot about that in the book. Uh, I like to say that uh, the instructions on how to get out of your box are out of your box. And and it's so true. Um, And, you know, and and the other issue is money. It's it's such an interesting topic. Uh, I talk to so many different generations, people that are religious, non-religious, different religions. And when you talk about money, I seem to get a, a similar reaction to it. Well, you know, money's not that important. You know, health is more important, or, or this is more important. You're overly focused on money. And this is a key issue as far as I'm concerned because I totally disagree. And I think people need to take a step back, especially those that react that way, because I noticed those that react that way uh, in a negative way about money uh, uh, usually need it. Mm-hmm. They usually don't have a lot. And my attitude towards money is simple it's a limb, it's one of your limbs. Okay, you need and you have one for relationships, you have one for, you know, the love of your life, your children, you need one for health. Uh, These are limbs, they're important piece of life. And guess what, money is one of them. Uh, I think money is spiritual, to be honest with you. Um, The more of it that you have, the more people you can help. You know, people need to take, you know, really take a step back and think about that one. It gives you the freedom to do the things you want to do. And hopefully, you'll be able to be creative and do the things that you were born to do or you're passionate about. But the more money you have, the more people you can help. And you can take a look at Gates. You can take a look at Buffett. You can take a look at Branson. These guys, you know, they inject huge, huge sums of money into various charities throughout the world. They're doing their best with all this money that they've made. And from what I hear, the majority of it, to help the world, to make it a better place. So if that's the case, why is money a bad thing? You've got to think about that.
0: Yeah, a lot of people have hangups about money. I mean, sometimes it starts as early as a uh, as a child. Your parents always tell you, you're at the store, hey, mom, can I buy this? And they go, we don't have enough money. Uh, and then, you know, there's a lot of sometimes indication, negative connotations that you're raised with, like your parents will tell you. Like my father used to always say, I used to say, hey, dad, look at that BMW. And he drove a VW. <laughs> I <laughs> never thought of those two. So anyway, I'd say, hey, look at that BMW or the Mercedes and he'd say well the bank owns it and that he got away with that for a couple of years and then finally i asked him one day i go what does it mean dad when the bank owns it and he goes well they have a loan and they make the payments and i go so you don't do that with your car and he goes no i i make payments to the bank so i'm like well the bank owns your car too your vw so how are they different <laughs> yeah and i kind of got him I kind of got him in, in the, in the thing, but I mean, this was something, you know, that I was picking up through the program and my parents and, and their attitudes about money. And certainly, you know, it, it's really tragic that, that, you know, I, I've, I've talked to some of my other friends, families that run, uh, that have kids and said, you know, you need to start having your kid think about some other things other than just getting a job. And unfortunately they, they can't understand my world, your world. And, um, All they they know is you show up for a job, you get your paycheck and you pray to, you know, pray to Friday and and then you get it and and then it's gone again after taxes.
1: Yeah. And that's a big one. I mean, that most people don't even understand. You know, it's funny because they they think that they're going towards this secure place, Mm -hmm. you know, place they're going to wake up exactly the same time every morning. They're going to the same job. They're going to get their paycheck and all as well. The truth is times have changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you well know, uh, you know your jobs are insecure. Uh, companies are going uh, offshore. Uh, they're going online. Uh, your job may not be there tomorrow. Pension plans are falling apart. Um, and, and frankly, when you're tied, when you're shackled to a job uh, where you're working by the hour, uh, if you think about it, you're not really secure at all. And now you're just hoping that there's going to be enough money left for you to retire, quote unquote. By the way, I hate that word. I just want you to know it's a, a pet peeve of mine. The Retirement? Word- Sucks. Uh, the right word is refire. They've done study after study. People that have retired usually physically and mentally just literally go straight downhill.
0: Oh yeah, they die within what is it, one to three years if they don't find something to do.
1: Yeah, and, and I, I mean I don't mind at the end of the day if you want to use the word refire. So in other words, switch. Okay, you're you're leaving this job, you're leaving this company, you're leaving whatever it is that you're doing. Switch over and do something else. Keep at. Yeah. Never stop. This bit with, you know, I'm going to retire in some community in Miami and I'm going to swim every day and do yoga and that's the end of that. That's the beginning of the end if, if you take that attitude. Um, you know, you, you really got to get it together in that regard. Uh, so coming back to this, their, their expectations are that they're going to have or their hope is that they're going to have enough money to retire. And the truth is more and more now that's not the case. So people got to really put some thought into, you know, where this money is going to come from. Uh, Not just for then, that's the other part. What about living well now? Why wait till then, you know, this so-called retirement to live a good life? And uh, I I think that that's where people need to take a step back and think about it. And that's all I kind of ask people to do. In my book, I talk about a lot of reasons why they got to take what I have to say seriously, and they're really good reasons. But at the end of the day, the alternative is not good.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, yeah, a lot of people pass away, uh, early on. I love the mantra and I, I, this is my rule too. Uh, I love the mantra of Warren Buffett and he says, uh, I'll retire about seven years after I die.
1: There we go. I love <laughs> it too. And you know, that guy, that's a guy that people should admire and watch.
0: Yeah, and 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 he espouses a lot of what you talk about in your book, investments. Uh, you know, fast track to freedom. Uh, you've got a great graphic here that I'm looking at on MindMoneyAndWealth.com. You can also find his book Mind Money and Wealth on Amazon.com. Uh, and you got a great thing here about uh, the difference between uh, working hard and working smart.
1: Yeah, that's uh, and, and that's a key one for people to understand uh, because on one side, and we talk about working hard. Uh, Which is, if you think back to previous generations, parents always told you, well, if you work hard, you're going to do well in life. Uh, And on that side, you have jobs where you're paid by the hour or paid by the week, uh, which, of course, entails a certain number of hours and a limited amount of vacation time. Uh, And then there's self-employed. I mean, self-employed people think about it. Uh, these are people that are more shackled to their job than anybody else because if they take a vacation, you know, their their little business of theirs goes down the drain. They're not getting paid while they're away.
0: Or if they get uh, sick in hospital.
1: Exactly right. Uh, yeah. Whereas, you know, I, I promote working smart. And uh, in the area of working smart, there's two ways for that to happen. One of them, of course, is investing smartly, investing well, becoming an investor. That could be real estate. Uh, It could be the stock market, though. You know, there's a big caveat to that. This is not a place to dabble. This is Las Vegas if you're listening to your friends or your taxi drivers, and this is a dangerous place, and I say don't do it, but if you train yourself, you read a hundred books, you take courses, and you do this right, you don't gamble, there's money to be made there. Uh, There's money to be made in so many different places, Uh, you know, self-storage, I mean, development and conversions. I could go on and on. There's a hundred different places you can invest where you can make significant money, and then the other place would be medium to large businesses. So, I guess the best way, you have to ask a question to yourself. Am I making money when I sleep? Mm -hmm. And if the answer is no, then you're not building wealth. Mm -hmm. If you go to sleep and you're making money, if you go on vacation, you're making money, okay, then you're on your way. And I don't know too many people that can answer yes to that.
0: Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. I, you know, being able to just do what you want when you want. I love being self-employed because you can, you can, you get your paycheck whenever you want. You're like, hey, I need some money to go on vacation. "Ah, I'll just take a check. You don't have to sit there and go, I got to wait till Friday, or, um, you know, I remember uh, one of my family members wanted to come down for a holiday, and they did the annual, you know, Disneyland Christmas holiday, and he called me up and goes, we can't do it. And I go, what do you mean? We planned this whole thing and what do you mean you can't do it? He's like, well, my bosses came to me and said, they, I can't take that vacation that it, I had scheduled and planned. And I'm like, well, tell him to go to hell. And then, you know, he's like, you can't do that, Chris. And I'm like, oh yeah. I, I mean, I can tell my boss to go to hell because it's me, but, um, <laughs> but you know, this is the way people live. So you sit down in your book, you outline some of the different mindsets that people have around money. And the way they think about money, the way they think about having a job and things of that nature?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, I I really spend quite a bit of time on this topic because it's that important. And uh, when people are young, of course, they're developing an underlying blueprint, which is uh, based on their belief systems that are being built from a very young age. So, you know, your parents are always uh, using the words, be careful. Uh, We all... Then you know, we've all dealt with that. Be careful. Don't do this. Don't do that. You could get hurt. Uh, well, these plant very deeply rooted seeds, frankly, into your psyche. Um, and you've got to pay attention to that. And if your parents also have this attitude towards money, well, we can't afford that money. It doesn't grow on trees. Rich people are crooks. Uh, and I've heard things like that over the years. Uh, these are going to plant seeds of negativity towards money and cause limitations. So uh, one of the first things that I talk about is fear. Um, because, uh, you know, what stops us from living the life that we want to live? Well, one of them is awareness, okay? That's first and foremost. Uh, The difference between making $50,000 a year and a million a year is simply awareness. And the second one is fear, the limitations uh, that were created. And even now, you know, a lot of the people I talk to, my friends, a lot of my readers that I connect with on a daily basis, the people that are probably listening here, there's a percentage of them that are listening to this going, you know, well, I'd love to do that, but it's too hard, or I'm scared, uh, or, you know, what do I do next? And and really, at the end of the day, fear holds them back. And fear will also convince them, create psych- psychological patterns of thought that will limit them from going forward. And if I may, I'd like to describe this whole thing, because I think this is actually a really good visual for people to understand, and many people will connect to it. It's called perturbation. Mm-hmm. So perturbation, if you were to go into the dictionary, is basically uh, aggravating molecules to such a point that state is changed. Mm -hmm. So a good example would be boiling water. So we take a pot of water, we put it on the stove, we put the heat up, and the molecules get aggravated, the atoms are vibrating, and they, they get agitated to a point where they reach this ceiling. And then if they burst through that ceiling, of course, you have steam, it changes state. Mm -hmm. Or you can turn that heat off and nothing happens. They go back to where they were. And I think that that fits perfectly with how we think uh, as human beings. So, uh, so many people I know are aggravated and upset with the position they're in. They're miserable, in fact. They hate their job. They hate their boss. They hate their situation. They hate their lack of freedom. Maybe they hate their relationship. Who knows? At the end of the day, you can see that slowly but surely, they progress to a point where that agitation gets worse and worse and worse. And they're getting close to a ceiling of change where they're going to take massive action and shift and change. 95, if not 99% of those people, when they hit that ceiling, they turn down the heat. They go back to where they were. They get comfortable in their misery. So for a few days or a few weeks, they're going to feel okay. They didn't burst through that ceiling, but you know what, I'm comfortable with where I was. And then the process starts again. They get agitated, they get frustrated, and they're slowly but surely coming through to that point, that ceiling, and they're gonna have that choice again. Well, I suggest highly that when your listeners and people in general terms get to that ceiling, that they burst through that ceiling. They go through it, they put fear aside, and they get through it to the next level because what is going to happen is they will never go back. Once they burst through that ceiling to the next level, whatever that may be, maybe starting a business on the side, maybe buying a piece of real estate, maybe changing the relationship, whatever it is that they're doing to get a better life, they will never go back now. They're now in, in kind of the next stage of that little graph, that perturbation period. And by the way, they're going to, they, if they burst through, they'll do this again. Mm -hmm. To the next level and the next level, and eventually they're going to look back, they're going to be multi millionaires living a wonderful life of freedom with great relationships and great health. But that's only going to happen if they burst through that ceiling. Guess what? It's uncomfortable, Chris. It's really uncomfortable. You got to get
0: out of your comfort zone,
1: but isn't it wonderful to be uncomfortable and really, really rich and free?
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it's actually kind of comfortable. But you have different levels of that, where you need to blow out and move up to the next level, add the next business, or add the next 100%. investment, or whatever the case may be. We st- we start over three different companies at one point in time, and then we just kept adding more corporations, or loaning money, or investing, and um, yeah, we just you, you get you, you gotta keep going to the next level, and um, yeah, it's interesting how people they operate in that kind of thermostat. I think I heard Tony Robbins talk about it how it's kind of like a thermostat and they just kind of stay in that range. And sometimes they get sick of everything. And, and, uh, but until you actually decide to do something about it, nothing's really going to change
1: no you're you're hundred percent right. You have to make that decision, that choice and and take massive ac- action on it. I mean, uh, you know, I followed a lot of these great mentors out there. Tony Robbins is certainly one of them. T. is another, Canfield and uh, John Kehoe and all these guys. and they profess the same thing uh, the The concept of the thermostat actually, I talk about it in the book. I think it's brilliant. Uh, you know the blueprint we all have a blueprint for money comes from our childhood, our you know our our schools, our friends. Uh, we have a blueprint for relationships. We have a blueprint for health. Uh, and and it's evident. You have to just pay attention to it. And once you see what that blueprint is, this is the coolest part of it. Once you recognize you have a blueprint, and if you don't like that blueprint, you can change it. Mm-hmm. But you've got to first recognize that you have these belief systems that are driving your behavior, that are driving your thought patterns. Unfortunately, most people won't do that. But the minute you take that step back and say, holy shit i was i was brought up wrong when it comes to money Mm -hmm. well guess what that's the thermostat you were talking about because you know maybe they were brought up that fifty thousand dollars a year is a good thing work really really hard and maybe one day you'll retire well guess what that that sticks Mm -hmm. and and that's how they're going to function that's how they're going to behave that's how their decisions are going to be made the rest of their lives and by the way more often than not they pass it on to their children unfortunately yeah. So, if you recognize the blueprint that you had, and I had a blueprint of scarcity, I got to tell you, you know, at, at the age of 47, you know, I, I considered myself a pretty smart guy. And, you know, here I was, a VP, a senior VP of all these companies, and I thought I was doing well, but I had nothing to show for it. And at the age of 47, I kind of looked in the mirror and I said, oh my God, something's wrong here. Humble yourself, I said to myself. I took a step back and I, I literally said no to a job offer that I had to run U.S. operations for a company in, in Canada. And uh, literally started from scratch, from the ground up with very little money. Mm-hmm. Three kids and a, and a wife at home to take wow. care of.
0: Okay, and you're not so. in an age where you usually want to be starting over. Yeah,
1: Well, yeah. uh, 47 actually. You know, I'm, I'm hoping people will start at an earlier age. This book is actually targeted at young people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's no, there's no expiry date to success. And so at the age of 47, you know, I made a decision to change my life because I had this underlying blueprint of scarcity that was limiting me from getting to where I wanted to be. And I'll tell you, I was miserable. I mean, I was just so uncomfortable with the fact that, you know, where's the money? Where's the wealth? I mean, I, I, would, I really expected to be a very wealthy man at the age of 47, and I wasn't. Yeah. I was just a very sad camper.
0: And you're probably spending your life working for other people, making them wealthy.
1: That's exactly right. And, you know, you depend on these companies. Maybe you got stock options. So now you're depending on them to make the right decision so that if the company is doing really, really well, well, maybe you'll make some money on the stock options. And, you know, in my case, three out of three, uh, the companies did not do what they were supposed to do. So I walked away, uh, you know, after tax with just making a living, but absolutely not building wealth. Mm-hmm. and that's what hit me hard at the age of 47 i noticed that there was a trend going on in my life and that trend was not a good trend i mean i was going to be one of those guys just praying that i could have enough money to retire so to speak mm-hmm. uh, so
0: what were some of the steps that you went into give us some examples of what you decided to do what started working for you and maybe some of the investments or what businesses you started and things
1: well it's and it's a a really good question, you know, because uh, that is a question I get from people. What did you do? Okay, so good. You made, you made a decision that something was wrong. Um, but what did you do from there? So the first thing that I did was humble myself, frankly. Uh, you know, I really stopped the talking and really started to listen. Uh, I went on a rampage. I read 120 books. Uh, I read books on business. I read books on the mind. I read books that were motivational. I read books on sales. I read books on health. I just went crazy reading books. I basically said, you don't know what you don't know and started to read and learn from the great mentors out there. Um, You know, There's an old adage that success leaves tracks. And so I started following uh, these great mentors out there who were successful, are successful. and, And I was paying attention. The other thing that I did, Uh, is I went to seminars, courses, special camps. I went to some really, really good ones. Uh, Mm -hmm. Seminars on uh, business for sure, marketing, uh, you know, guerrilla business school. I went to uh, Tony Robbins stuff. I I went on a rampage of seminars, different types of courses. Uh, I already come from a background of real estate, Mm -hmm. uh, which is kind of ironic. um, And that is that, you know, right out of university, I was doing real estate, but guess what I was doing? I was a salesman. I was making everybody else rich while I made a living and I was taxed and not building wealth while all these people around me who were buying these commercial buildings were becoming multimillionaires right in front of my eyes. And I missed it. Okay. Yeah. That's the weird part of it. I missed all that. I couldn't figure it out. It didn't hit me. I didn't have a mentor explaining things to me, you know? so um you know I, I i really wanted to learn as much as i possibly could and um i, I even went to something called um enlightened warrior training with Tim Harv Ecker. it was one of the the great camps that i went to it kind of shook my world uh, where you're dealing with fears and your belief systems and your blueprints and you're kind of shaking it up uh both intellectually uh with theory uh, as well as actively you know doing different exercises and stuff and you walk out of there a different person um You know, I literally spent the next several years uh, doing anything I could to take fear and put it at bay. Now, you're always going to have fear there. You just need to learn how to manage it. So uh, I I laid on a bed of nails when they broke a concrete block on my chest. I walked on broken glass. I swallowed fire. I walked on fire. Um, uh, I broke rebar with my neck with somebody else running at me with it. Uh, uh, And I skydived and I... uh, Bungie jumped, and I did all these things, and I got to tell you, made a difference. You know that, do you, listen to this one, it's true. It's compulsory in my family for my children to skydive. Oh, it's, nice. It's, the, the way university is compulsory, for me, it's a training ground. It's, it's a database builder, mm-hmm. but so is, so is skydiving. It's mm-hmm. help them as they get older um, to stretch out those walls that we, as parents, created. Yeah. We're, they, they're, they're born unlimited, and, and as parents, we think we're doing a great job as we slowly create these walls around them of you know, being careful and fear. I want the opposite for my children, and, and uh, actually, uh, two out of the three have already done their skydiving, and they loved it, and one uh, is 16 years old, my daughter. She's going to be doing it uh, maybe even next week.
0: I know some parents that want to throw their teenagers out of a plane, but I don't think it involves a parachute. But no, just kidding aside. There we go. Um, no, I think that's really good. You've got to – it's interesting. Uh, you know, my experience was uh, my parents moved around a lot when I was a kid, and so I got to see a lot of different cultures, a lot of different areas, a lot of different things. And um, I had a harder time when I moved to places that were – uh, not as big cities. After living in big cities and and having that sort of experience and mindset and that stretch, if you will, as you mentioned, it uh, was really important. I think my parents. I would have more fun jumping on a plane at, at uh, my early days than I would now. But uh, it definitely stretches your mindset. It, it makes expand your mind. It expands your reference points. Expands your library, as you mentioned, and uh, you've got more to play on. and And I think you're. I think your expanse of what is possible for you is definitely widened permanently.
1: No, I, I totally agree with you. And, uh, um, and I think it's an important piece to uh, our growth. And, you know, so I started with all of that. It was really about information, digesting that information, feeding that supercomputer up there and saying, well, wait a minute, there's just a lot you don't know and you don't understand. So I was building awareness. But the other part was for sure dealing with the fear. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and people don't even realize how deeply rooted fear can be. I mean, Mm -hmm. fear can affect you in so many different ways. Your decision-making process, your closed-mindedness can all come from fear, fear of the unknown, fear of success, fear of failure, fear of of making money or being rejected. I mean, I can go on and on. It's just Mm -hmm. in in every aspect of our lives. So if you can work on that, if you can work on your fear, uh, I think that that's going to be a step in the right direction. I'll give you an example. So here I am professing that you need to make a change. Think about it from my perspective. I was just I was just wined and dined by this company. And this is a true story. They took me to play golf. We had this wonderful dinner. All the executives toasted me and said, welcome aboard. And here I was about to start with them. I'd be traveling a lot. I had three babies at home and a, and a wife. Uh, and I was on my way home, actually, from this event. And um, I had a chest pain. Hmm. And it, you know, I, it wasn't a heart attack. I did pull over, uh, and I knew it wasn't. It, there was something wrong. It wasn't a heart attack that was going on. Uh, I mean, later I figured it out. It was my my mind, my body telling me something was wrong.
2: Hmm. Uh,
1: but what was really interesting is that the moment I pulled over, there was a song on the radio, "Cats in the Cradle" by oh. Harry Chapin. I don't know if you remember that song. I do. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, and it's really the story of this little boy who's asking his father to play with him. Mm -hmm. And the father, you know, nicely says, um, he's busy. I'm busy Mm -hmm. with this. I'm busy with work. But you know what? We're going to play soon, and we'll have a great time then, son. Mm -hmm. And this is repeated at the beginning. The son wants to play with dad, but he's never available. Mm -hmm. The second part of the song is the reverse now. Now the dad is older. The son is older, uh, has a family of his own. And the dad reaches out to the son and says, you know, hey, son, uh, I'd love to get together with you. And the son says, you know, I'd love to, Dad, but, you know, I'm really busy, busy with this. My kid's busy with work. Uh, You know, we'll have a good time then, Dad. We'll get together at one point. And I cried like a baby when I heard that song in the car. So I was a wreck. I mean, you know, my chest was hurting. I'm crying. And I knew something was terribly wrong. Um, I talked about it with my uh, ex-wife, my wife at the time. And um, that very morning, I called the CEO of the company and I said, I'm not coming yet. I thank you very much for offering me the position, uh, but uh, I'm not coming in. It's not going to work. And I tried to explain. At the time, he was extremely upset. Now he's a (laughs) friend of mine. But you can understand, you know, he had hired his guy, and this guy saying, I'm not coming to work. And I started from ground zero. Think about it. Ground zero. I didn't have – there was very little money. And I had three kids that needed me and an Uh ex-wife, a wife at the time. And here I said no. This is wrong. This isn't working. I'm not going to make the same mistake again. And I'm going to head in another direction. And the reason I tell this story is because we're talking about overcoming fear. Most people would not have done what I did. Um, I talked to many of them, so I know. Uh, It took a lot of courage. And I think that, um, you know, that's what it takes to be successful in life. It takes courage to take that step to be uncomfortable, to look for something better. And that's what I was doing. I wanted a better life. You know, I, I understood. You know, I saw people around me getting sick, some people dying. I understood how fragile my life was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wanted to make this life the best it could be, but I was on the wrong path. So mm-hmm. that's kind of what I'm hoping certain people who read the book or listen to me will, will get, hey, wait a minute, maybe I'm not on the right path. Maybe there is a better way. And not to be afraid of exploring that and then ultimately taking massive action to make the changes. Uh, You know, money, I got to tell you, it's abundant out there. Okay, there's trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars. There's so many ways to make money. You can take any niche, any passion that you have, any idea, and do something online and make money. I mean, today, more than ever before, I think that, you know, some people say it's harder. I actually think it's a lot easier today. There's so many tools out there that if you do it right – I mean you can do it from, you know, the the, the comfort of your own office or your own bedroom. And you can make a lot of money. Definitely. Uh, so I want people to get beyond that fear and understand they can do that mm-hmm. and better their lives.
0: You gotta you gotta learn to think outside the box. And it's amazing how much our belief systems one of my biggest challenges was is was and still is weight. Uh, eating uh, habits, exercise, all that sort of good stuff. And uh, years ago, I popped through, you know, what you talked about, you know, where you blow up the thermostat, and I just got so sick of being overweight and out of shape. And uh, I was drinking, I think, ten to fifteen Mountain Dews a day, oh my um, God. just eating garbage food. Uh, and I just broke one day, and so I I started. I said, "Screw it, no more pop," um, and uh, I became vegan um, and just start eating healthy. And then I started exploring all these belief systems that I'd set up. And some of it came from my parents, you know, my parents taught me, uh, you know, they, they meant well, but they taught me, you know, stuff like, Oh, here eating is a reward. So, Oh, oh, you did good, Chris. Oh, you get a, you get a candy bar or you get a Coke or you get, you know, some kind of crap that you, should be eating
1: or finish the food on your plate or you're not leaving
0: the food on their plate it's a classic one yeah that's a that's a total classic one uh and so i started exploring all these belief systems about why i was eating the way i was and i kind of did my own study but yeah i started i started realizing there were certain patterns of belief that i had that uh you know finish your food you've got to eat three meals a day you've got to eat you know, a certain amount of, you know, like they have that, what is it, the diet hierarchy or whatever, the triangle pyramid of, of food and nutrition. But, you know, coming back to entrepreneurism and stuff and business life and money, we all have these different belief systems about all sorts of different things that are self-limiting. And until we can get outside of that box and start looking at some, you know, why do I believe this? Why do I believe that? Why do I, you know, who 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 made this rule that I just picked up one day and followed? And why do I believe it? And why am I following it? And does it doesn't make any sense. And so That's exactly right. challenging those makes a lot of things. What are the things that can we find in your book? We're talking today, of course, uh, with uh, mindmoneywealth.com. You can get it, Robert Luxenberg. And uh, you can check it out also on Amazon. What are some other different tips and tricks and stuff that you have in your book we can talk about?
1: Um, well, I go through the process. Uh, after I talk about the mind, I do talk about money. Again, something they don't really teach in school. And compounding is a huge piece of that. We, we did talk about this earlier. Uh, I love to ask people if you double a penny every day for 31 days, uh, would you rather take that or would you take right now uh, a suitcase with $5 million cash in it? And of course, more often than not, people are going to say, are you kidding me? Give me the cash, <laughs> But actually when they do that, they're leaving ten uh they're leaving a, a hundred plus thousand dollars on the table. Holy because God. if you double that penny for thirty one days, you end up with ten million seven hundred and thirty seven thousand that's yeah, seven hundred and thirty seven thousand dollars. and here's a key piece. Now let's do the exact same exercise, but let's inject taxation into it. So uh, I think it 's fair to say uh, in Canada, it would be a little bit higher, but in the United States, thirty uh, percent is that a fair number?
0: Uh, it depends on how much you make but yeah
1: let 's take thirty percent taxes sure. you know from the one the first penny on the, all the way down. Uh, I just said that if you didn 't have taxes, you 'd end up with ten million seven hundred thousand plus. You would end up with eighty two thousand dollars at the end of the day because you 've injected taxes to that so one of the things that I talk about, and this is the whole concept of understanding wealth building and compounding, is um, the effect, first of all, the compounding effect, was, which is extremely powerful. Uh, as I said, Albert Einstein called it the most powerful force in the universe. But the second piece of this is to understand how um, damaging taxation is to the compounding effect. So the objective is, which is why I say, you know, you want to work smart is to find investments and opportunities where you can defer taxes or reduce taxes. And uh, I talk about the fact you should really understand your own tax code. Uh, I know that uh, the tax code is usually prefaced with a paragraph that it's up to you to push the tax code to the limit. Mm -hmm. Uh, You don't cross it. You don't do anything illegal. But you push it to the absolute limit. Well, here's the problem with 99% of the population. They let their accountants do the work, and I guarantee you they're leaving a huge amount of money on the table.
0: Yeah, because they're liable yeah. usually, and so they always want to stay you know, far off the line.
1: Exactly, and plus they don't have time for you. Otherwise, yep. you know, the accountants would cost a lot more. We pay them by the hour. Yep. So At the end of the day, you've got to look for investments and opportunities that are going to defer taxes. You're going to look for opportunities that are going to compound your wealth. So what, I'm, what I say to people is it's time to start focusing on a different approach to money. Instead of going – hey, I make $100,000 a year, that's pretty damn good. Um, Well, I told that to my father when I was younger and he gave me shit. He told me, well, you know, that means nothing to me. What do you make at the end of the day after taxes are taken out of that and after you paid your rent and everything else? And he, I was taken aback by that comment from my dad. Well, what he was trying to tell me is that don't focus on, you know, that that, um, income that you're making on an annual basis because it's misleading. So I think what you need to look is net at is net worth. What is mm-hmm. your net worth? What are you worth today? You know, whether it be, uh, you know, your house, an apartment building that you own, investments that you own, maybe a 401k or an RRSP, um, whatever it is that you have accumulated in terms of wealth, that's what you got to focus on. That's what matters. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, if you were to create an Excel spreadsheet, um, yeah, I mean, of course you're going to have your income there. It's important to know what you're bringing in. But what's more important is to know what you're doing with it mm-hmm. to be able to build the wealth. And what you want to do is monitor on a monthly uh, or certainly at the very least on an annual basis, you know, is your net worth going up? Because if your net worth isn't going up, you're not building wealth. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things I talk about in the book. Obviously, I get more specific about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I even give spreadsheets to, you know, to to look at. But at the end of the day, I think it's a complete shift that's necessary here. People need to start looking at other things that maybe they weren't brought up on. And that is the ability to build wealth, to build your net worth. Because as you do that, if you're compounding, then, you know, 50,000 can turn to 500,000 can turn to 5 million, actually pretty quickly. I became a multimillionaire. You know, and and I'm I'm not saying this to boast. I'm saying this because I I did this from ground zero at the age of 47. And I was able to become a millionaire and then ultimately a multimillionaire in just a short few years. So if I could do it, why can't other people do it? Mm -hmm. And, of course, I go into some of the ways you can do it in my book. And I do talk about real estate quite extensively
0: awesome sauce. So be sure to check it out. Go to mindmoneyandwealth.com. Uh, what They Don't Teach You in School is the name of the book, uh, Robert Luxembourg. And uh, it's been wonderful to have you today. Anything more, Robert, we need to know about your book and all that good stuff?
1: Well, uh, I am trying to get this book into the school systems now, both in Canada and the United States and beyond. Uh, awesome. I have a lot of headmasters that have read it and uh, have said this is a missing piece, that it needs to get in there. Uh, either way, I have a lot of young people reading it, and I have CEOs buying it for their employees to give to their children. Uh, I have uh, parents buying it for their children then enjoying it themselves, so I highly suggest that people take a peek at it. Um, You can go to my website, which is mindmoneyandwealth.com, but certainly go to amazon.com. You can see the book there. It's available in audio. It's available as an e-book or just a regular book, and it's a good coffee table book, if you want to call it that. And it's Mind Money and Wealth, What They Don't Teach in School.
0: That's awesome. And I highly recommend it. Uh, you know, I didn't go to college. I uh, started my first business when I was 18. And I've worked for myself all my life as a serial entrepreneur. Uh, teach your kids from an early age because it's so important. Where they're, it's, it's a language they need to learn. And uh, once they get the entrepreneurial bug or the drug, as I like to call it, uh, it's hard to get rid of. But, and, and they learn and they adapt. And, and I got to tell you, being an entrepreneur, you learn to be self-actualized really you you have to self-actualize you have to become self-responsible if you really want to teach your kids responsibility teach them to be an entrepreneur or at least give them the tools that they could do uh and uh, uh and certainly while they're young enough to be able to learn this stuff be able to get educated about this stuff where they're not uh you know like you say with the song uh, you know, the, the time to learn this stuff is when you're young and you're, you're still in the nest. Once you're on the nest and you're busy chasing your tail and you're trying to make a buck so you can, you know, have a car and have a place to sleep and then some, uh, maybe some top ramen to eat at night. Uh, you know, you're not, you don't have time to read a book and go, well, uh, I don't want to be smarter. So I think it's great that parents share this with their children. And I, I highly recommend that, you know, parents start preparing their kids more for, uh, the future by being an entrepreneur, because that's really where it's going to be at in the future. I, I see us as a society where we're all entrepreneurs, we're all thinking, we're all at our own think tanks, and we're sharing ideas back and forth with one another. Um, certainly, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a world where all the money is going more and more to the top people, and you're and everyone's just kind of slaving to help them build wealth, and they can do this as well. So go to mindmoneyandwealth.com, check it out, uh, order his book at amazon.com, Mind Money and Wealth, What They Don't Teach You in School by Robert Luxenberg. It's been wonderful to have you, Robert. Thanks for being on the show.
1: It's been a lot of fun.
0: And thanks to my audience for tuning in. We certainly love and appreciate you. Be sure to refer the show to your friends, neighbors, relatives. Be sure to give the show a view if you would on iTunes, uh, Google play, Spotify, geez, like the 50 different places. This is syndicated at. We certainly appreciate you guys tuning in. Thanks to my audience. We'll see you again next time.